Stay tuned for a teaching you can trust, a message that will inspire, strengthen, and equip you with vital insights and understanding from the Word of God. Here is Rick. Welcome to today's program. My name is Rick Renner, and I've been sitting in this chair waiting for our time to begin. And today, we're going to return to the wonderful epistle of Jude that so many people just breeze right over because they see it as the little bitty book before the book of Revelation, and they miss it. And the epistle of Jude is really powerful, and we need to understand what Jude says to us in his epistle. But I'm offering you a brand new series this week, which is called Mockers in the Last Days. And you're going to see in today's program that Jude and Peter prophesied that the very, very end of the age, mockers and scoffers would arise in the church. What does the Bible tell us about mockers in the last days? All of that is in this five-part series that comes in multiple formats with a study guide. And this week, we're also offering you my book, which is called Last Days Survival Guide. You know, I wrote this book before all of these events began to take place, before the pandemic, before all the recent events. Wow, was this book ever on time. And when I sat down to write it, I really felt the Holy Spirit urging me that this book would be needed very soon. And my friends, it really is needed right now. So I want you to order yours by going online or by giving us a call. And at the end of the program, my announcer will tell you more about all of these products. But I want to tell you that we want to pray for you. Let us know how to pray. We believe in prayer. We really are a praying ministry. We believe Jeremiah 33, 3. It says, call unto me and I will answer you. I'll show you great and mighty things which you've never seen or experienced before. We believe that verse. And if we know how to pray for you, we'll call out to God in faith. That verse promises he will hear us, he will answer us, and he will do great and mighty things in your life. So write us or give us a call and let us know how to pray for you. We're waiting for the phone to ring right now or for your email to show up in our inbox. And please pray for us, Denise and I, our sons, our ministry, our ministry team here in Moscow, we're living in very interesting and perilous times, but we have wisdom. We're told in James chapter 1, verse 5, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that gives to all men liberally and upbraids not. And I'm asking God for wisdom that we would know how to be most effective at this time when many, many people in our part of the world are struggling. God has wisdom to give us. And day by day, we're receiving answers from heaven about how to really be effective in ministering to people that are struggling, really, really struggling. But please pray for us. I covet and I cherish your prayers. And as a partner, I want to say thank you for praying for us. That reads for your Bible. And today we're going to return to the book of Jude. We always use the Bible in this program. And as you know, we're believing for a revival of the Bible in the body of Christ. And today we're going to begin with the RIV of Jude 14. You say, what is the RIV? Well, the RIV is the Renner Interpretive Version. Listen to what I've written as an explanation of the RIV. The RIV is a conceptual interpretation. Did you hear that? 
It is a conceptual interpretation of the New Testament that draws on concepts in the Greek language and brings them into the text in a contemporary way to provide a broader comprehension of what is being communicated through the scriptures. To be clear, the RIV is not meant to be viewed as a word-for-word translation, but should be viewed as a conceptual interpretation of the Greek text. Again, pulling all the concepts in the Greek text into a very broad contemporary interpretation of the scriptures. So today we're going to begin with Jude, verse 14 in the NRV. And it's speaking of Enoch. And we've already seen that in the very beginning of time, Enoch was one of the very first prophets to ever speak about the future. In the very beginning of time, Enoch saw all the way to the end of time, which means from the very beginning, God has known everything that's going to take place and nothing has taken God by surprise. And the Bible tells us here, the RIV of Jude verse 14, it is amazing that even Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied and foretold in advance in advance about these and other events that should occur in the future, saying, Behold, the Lord is coming with the authority and power needed to right every wrong and to set everything in order. And when he comes, he will arrive in the midst of ten thousands, innumerable numbers of his holy people with him. It's describing the second advent when we will return with Christ to set up the millennial reign. Then the RIV of verse 15 says, and when he comes, he will carry out the irreversible charge that heaven's court has issued inescapably against all so charged as guilty. In the very same way, a lawyer brings forth indisputable and undeniable evidence in a court of law, heaven's court will present irrefutable and uncontestable evidence to prove a charge of guilt against the godless and all the irreverent actions, beliefs, and deeds which these irreverent sinners have so abrasively and insolently spoken against the Lord. It's a pretty powerful text. And actually, Every verse in the book of Jude is just power-packed. How unfortunate that people skip over the book of Jude. But then we come to verse 16. And Jude verse 16 in the King James Version says, These are murmurers, complainers, walking after their own lusts, and their mouth speaketh great swelling words, having men's persons in admiration because of advantage. He's talking about the apostate church, apostate believers, apostate leaders at the very, very end of the age. But I want us to really dissect this verse to understand fully what Jude is communicating to us. He says these are murmurers. The word murmurers we covered briefly yesterday means to mutter words of discontent in a low tone. It means to grumble. It pictures a muffled undertone. It pictures smoldering discontent of those who are impossible to please. doesn't matter what you do for them. They're just discontent people. And then he calls them complainers. You say, well, what does that mean? Well, the word complainers really is the Greek word which describes a fault finder. One who complains about his lot in life, 
one who lays blame on others for everything, or one who's complaining and discontented and refuses to see his role in a problem. He just shifts blame to everybody else. And then Jude adds, walking after their own lusts. The word walking, the Greek word pereomai, which means to transition from one place to another place. Well, according to Jude, now they're murmurers and they're complainers, but this word pereomai here translated walking means they didn't begin like this. They used to be in a better place. But now somehow over the process of time, They've abandoned the healthy trail they once walked upon, and now they've transitioned into this really bad spiritual place where they're walking after their own lusts. And the word lust is the Greek word epithumia. The word epi means over, and here it is used as an intensifier. The word thumia is from the word thumas. The word thumas depicts passionate desires, but when you compound the two words together, the word epi and the word Thumas, it forms the word epithumia, which pictures one who wants something so badly, he's craving for it, he desires it, he's hankering after a passionate desire, or it pictures one who wants something so badly that he's nearly doubled over. That's the word epi. It's really an intensifier in this word. He's doubled over in an intense craving and longing to get that thing that he wants. And here, Jude says they're murmurers, they're complainers, they've left the good, healthy spot they used to be, and now they've transitioned into another place where they're just hankering after their own desires and cravings. And he says, their mouth speaketh great swelling words, having men's persons in admiration because of advantage. Well, what does this mean? The word speaketh, is the Greek word laleo, actually a form of the word laleo, which carries the idea of a conversation, a discourse, or an ongoing verbal exchange. It describes their regular conversation. They speak continually great swelling words. And this is very interesting in Greek because this is the word hooper agkas. The word hooper means above and beyond. It speaks of something that is exaggerated or something that is excessive. The word agkas describes something that's weighty, something that's weighty or something that is heavy. But when you compound these two words together, hooper, agkas, here translated great swelling words, it really means pompous, flaunting, wildly exaggerated, or excessively over-the-top words. And why are they speaking these pompous, flaunting, wildly exaggerated excessively over-the-top words. The verse says they're doing it because of men's persons, the Greek word prosopon, which means doing it in front of the people they want to impress, doing it in front of the people that they're wanting to get something out of. It's very insincere. It's just flattery. And it says they do it for admiration. The word admiration, interestingly, is a translation of the Greek word thalmazo. Now, that is very, very interesting. Because the word thalmazo means to be awestruck, to be baffled, to be at a loss of words, to marvel about something, to be shocked, to wonder, to be astonished out of one's wits or out of one's senses, or again, to be bewildered. Now we find that these individuals, 
that are speaking these great swelling words are pretending, pretending as if they're awestruck by something. They're pretending to be bewildered, to be astonished, to be amazed about somebody else. And they're putting on this act because of advantage, the word advantage, the Greek word ophelias, which means advantage, benefit, usefulness, or gain, personal gain. Now, if you put all of that together from Jude 16, all of these concepts in the Greek text brought into a contemporary interpretation, Jude 16 in the RIV is like this. These people go around murmuring and disrespectfully muttering words of discontent under their breath, constantly complaining, laying blame, and finding fault with others. They abandoned the path they once walked on and are now in hot pursuit after their own carnal cravings, desirings, and hankerings to get what they want. Their mouths are constantly speaking words that are artificial, disingenuous, widely exaggerated, and over the top to give the impression that they're awestruck in front of the people they're flattering in order to get some kind of personal advantage, benefit, or gain from them. That is the RIV of verse 16. But then we come to verse 17, and verse 17 in the King James Version says, But beloved, remember ye the words which were spoken before of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. We need to remember. In fact, he begins verse 17 with the word but, which in Greek is the word day. It's used like an exclamation mark. Here's something you need to remember and never forget, but beloved, and oh, I just love the fact that he uses this word beloved. It's the plural form of the Greek word agape. And the word agape is one of the hardest words in the New Testament to translate. Two words in the New Testament are really difficult to translate. One is the word agape, which is translated love, or the word agapatoi, which here is translated beloved. The second word that is so difficult to translate is the Greek word charis, which is the word for grace. There's so much in that word grace, it's very difficult to really fully interpret the meaning of the word grace. But here you come to the word agapatoi, beloved, which is the plural form of the word agape. And I'm going to read to you from my notes. The word agape describes one's deep love for others, hence those that are beloved to you. But listen to this. It describes the admiration one had for an object of beauty. The onlooker was so taken by the object that he gazes upon that it causes deep admiration and appreciation to come out of his heart because he is so moved by what he has seen and beheld. In fact, the observer experiences a loss of words to express what he feels because he's taken with the beauty of that object or that person. And here Jude uses this word agapatoi, the plural form of the word agape, to mean we as believers should view one another with deep admiration, awe, and wonder. Is that how you see other believers? My friends, we're all a work of God's grace. We are new creations. And when our eyes fall upon each other, we should never lose the wonder of what God has done in our lives. It should cause admiration, awe, wonder, respect to come out of our hearts 
That's what the word beloved means. Do you feel that for other believers in your church? But then he says, remember ye the words which were spoken before of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. And the word remember is the Greek word memnisko. It's a form of the Greek word menea. And this is really, really important because the word menea was a word that denoted a, rec a written record or some kind of a monument which was intended to memorialize a person's actions. It often was used to signify a statue, a monument, or some kind of memorial that was intended to be permanent, reminding you of something that you should never, never forget. That's what statues do. Statues remind you of someone in the past, someone who did something heroic. And here, it depicts something that should be ever remembered, something that should be ever remembered, commemorated, or memorialized. And it's talking about the words which were spoken by the apostles of our Lord's Jesus Christ. So whatever it is that they said, those words are to be ever remembered, never forgotten. And notice it says, remember ye the words which were spoken before of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. The word words that is used here is not the word logos. The word logos would refer to written words. This is the word rhema which depicts spoken sayings or spoken words, not necessarily written down. But though there are many verses in the New Testament about the end times and things that are going to take place, there were many things spoken by the apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ, which perhaps were not written down, which means they elaborated on the end times quite a lot. And now Jude says, don't forget, ever remember, commemorate, memorialize everything you heard the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ speak, which were spoken before. Spoken before is a translation of the Greek word pro-lego. The word pro depicts something done in advance. The word lego means I say, but when you compound the two words together, pro-lego means to speak something earlier, to speak something in advance, or to speak something before and here it means earlier in time, the apostles spoke to us about these things, but it also carries the idea of something that has been spoken prophetically. So earlier on, they prophetically spoke in advance about these events, which are going to occur at the very end of the age. And notice it says they were spoken before by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. The word by in Greek is the word hupo. The word hupo means directly by, directly from the mouths of. It speaks of direct agency. These were words spoken directly from the mouths of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I've written an entire book called Apostles and Prophets. It's everything you need to know about apostles and prophets. And in my book about apostles and prophets, I deal extensively with this word apostles that is used in this verse, which is the Greek word apostolos. It's a compound of two words. The word apo means away, and the word stella means to send. But when you compound the two words together, at first it looks like it means to dismiss or to send away. But in fact, it means to commission, to give authority to, and to dispatch. And it carries the idea of a high-ranking, specially commissioned representative. And that is who the apostles were. Jesus chose them. He commissioned them. They were high-ranking, specially commissioned representatives of Jesus Christ that we need to listen to. And do, then Jude adds, the apostles of, 
our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, I have to deal just for a moment with these three words, Lord Jesus Christ. And remember who is writing this? It's Jude, the half-brother of Jesus. He and Jesus had the same mother, but they had different fathers. Jesus' father was God. Jude's father was Joseph. But notice how Jude refers to his elder half-brother. He calls him the Lord Jesus Christ. This is so powerful. The word Lord is the Greek word kurios. The word kurios means Lord, supreme master, the one who has complete authority in every realm, known, unknown, visible, invisible, but even more importantly, this word Lord was used in the Old Testament Septuagint where it is translated Jehovah. Well, the Septuagint was very popularly used during the first century, and Jude knew the usage of this word kurias. And when he uses the word kurias, Lord, to describe his elder brother, he is declaring that his half-brother Jesus was Jehovah in the flesh. That's a powerful proclamation. Then he calls him Jesus. What does the name Jesus mean? The word Jesus means Yahweh saves or Yahweh delivers. And this designation means Jesus is Yahweh that saves. He is Yahweh that delivers. And then he calls him the Lord Jesus Christ, the word Christ, the Greek word Christos. And the word Christos is the Greek word for the Messiah or the anointed one. And if you put all of this together, the RIV of verse 17 is like this. But beloved, I call you that because it's the only word I know to express how deeply I love and cherish you. Always remember, never forget, and continually call to remembrance the words which were spoken earlier and prophetically by the apostles and personal representatives of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then when we come to verse 18, he's going to tell us what the apostles prophesied would take place at the very end of the age. And specifically, the apostles prophesied that mockers would arise in the church at the end of the age. And that's what we're going to cover when we come back tomorrow. But I'll be back in just a moment. Right now, my announcer is going to tell you how you can order all of our materials, which we're offering you today. And then I want to pray for you. The Bible says one of the signs we've come to the end of the ages, there will be mockers who mock and make fun of the rest of us who believe Jesus is coming soon for his church. In fact, the Holy Spirit said these mockers will appear right before the closure of the church age. What exactly does the Bible tell us about this? And why is it taking so long for Jesus to return? In the series, Mockers in the Last Days, Rick Renner opens the scriptures to show us what the apostles prophesied over and over about events in the last days. In this five-part series, Rick covers Enoch's prophecy about the last days, murmurers and complainers in the last days, mockers in the last days, and the good news that Jesus is coming soon. This five-part series is available in digital or physical format starting at just $10. We are also offering you Rick's book, Last Day's Survival Guide. It's a must read for you to know what the Bible tells us about the end of the age and how to navigate the times we are living in right now. The world around us is being shaken and seems to be falling apart, but your foundation can be so strong and secure that you will be unshaken and can live victoriously through this end time season. 
Last Day Survival Guide can be yours for only $25. Don't miss this special offer, the powerful series Mockers in the Last Days, and the book Last Day Survival Guide. Call the number on your screen now or go to renner.org to order. Call or go online now. Friends, this is Rick Renner, and today I want to say thank you, thank you, thank you for helping us to victoriously finish phase one of our ministry expansion project, which was purchasing our Tulsa headquarters building and building the building for our new studio in Moscow. That studio is an anchor for the Word of God. And together we did it. We finished phase one. And then you faithfully stayed with us through phase two and you gave again to help us finish the interior of the studio. And I wanna say thank you so much. But now in front of us is phase three. You say, well, what is phase three? Phase three is paying off the Tulsa building. Now, right now, I'm in the interior of the Moscow Good News Church. It is quite an amazing place. When you walk through this building, it's so beautiful and it testifies to the grace of God and the provision of God and the giving of our church and of our partners. We built this facility debt-free and because of that, the Moscow Church has never had the burden of monthly payments. All of our funds have been released to do the work of the gospel. And now we need to do that in Tulsa and I call this phase three. And I'm asking you today to pray about joining us as part of the giving team for phase three, which is paying off the Tulsa facility. And the reason we want to pay it off is because then it will release funds for us to take the teaching of the Bible to the ends of the earth. And dear friend, right now, the Bible is so needed. And I know that that's my heart and that is your heart. And together, we can take the Bible to the ends of the earth. So please pray about joining us for phase three to finish paying off the Tulsa building. And I want to say thank you in advance. In Matthew chapter 28, Jesus said, go into all the world and teach all nations. That's what we're doing through this ministry. We're taking the teaching of the Bible into all the world, and that is called the Great Commission, and we're commanded to do it. And when you come to the very last verse in Matthew chapter 28, Jesus says, if you'll do this, lo, I'll be with you always, even to the end of the age. And it is his divine promise that if you go with the Bible, or if you help others go, you can be sure God's power will show up in your life. That's good news for me, and that's good news for you. I'm teaching you're giving to help us go. And Jesus promises that we can lay claim to the power of God operating in our life. That promises to anyone who goes or to those who help others to go. That's us. And my friend, if you're listening to me today and you've not become a partner with our ministry yet, become a partner with our ministry. Help us take the teaching of the Bible to the ends of the earth and Jesus' power will show up in your life. You can become a partner by going online, or by giving us a call, and we will immediately send you Denise's book called The Gift of Forgiveness and my book called Life in the Combat Zone because these books were written for partners and we want you to have them. And as my announcer has told you today, we're offering you a series which is called Mockers in the Last Days. What the Bible says about mockers in the last days and how to stand strong against a tide of negative voices. 
and it comes with a marvelous study guide. Please order yours now. You will devour this. And today we're also offering you my book, which is called Last Day's Survival Guide, a scriptural handbook to prepare you for these perilous times. My friends, we're called, we're appointed, we're anointed for this season. And I wrote this book to help you get through this season in victory. So order yours today and read it to the end. But I want to pray for you. Father, thank you for the amazing book of Jude. Lord, it is so packed with revelation. Help us to embrace it, to believe it, and apply it to our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. I'll see you tomorrow. It's going to be good. But until then, remember Ecclesiastes 8.4, where the word of a king is, there's power. <music>